0: Hello everyone, my name is Joseph Limbach, and I just received my master's degree through the Stein Monogastric Nutrition Laboratory. The focus of today's podcast is to discuss the effects of dietary crude protein level on growth performance, blood characteristics, and indicators of gut functionality in weanling pigs. I'd like to begin with some background information as to how the weaning process affects these pigs. So one of the most stressful time points in a pig's life is at weaning, and this stress can come from a multitude of different areas. There could be nutritional stress as these pigs transition from a highly digestible milk-based diet to corn and soybean meal-based diets that are less digestible, or there could be psychological and environmental stresses stemming from the commingling of these pigs with pigs from other litters, other nursery rooms, and potentially even other nursery facilities. Now any single or combination of these stresses can lead to what Yarman and Neashadi titled weaning anorexia, which as the name implies, is a decrease in feed intake post-weaning. Now that decrease in feed intake post-weaning then causes a cascade of events that eventually results in an increase in post-weaning diarrhea. Post-weaning diarrhea is one of the largest challenges pig producers face. Because that loss of water and electrolytes can negatively impact growth performance and potentially even cause mortality, both of which impact a producer's bottom line. Historically, antibiotics have been used to try to mitigate the negative effects that may be associated with weaning. However, due to the increase in legislation and restriction on the use of subtherapeutic antibiotics, producers and nutritionists alike have been tasked with finding alternative ways to try to reduce post-weaning diarrhea. Stein and Kill in 2006 reviewed multiple dietary strategies aimed at achieving this goal. They showed we can use direct-fed microbials or other types of eubiotics in an attempt to replenish beneficial bacteria in the guts of these pigs. We could use nucleotides or nucleosides. We could use alternative cereal grains like cooked rice and barley. So, for example, the fermentation of the fiber from barley seems to have a probiotic type of an effect. We could supplement these pigs with pharmacological levels of trace minerals like zinc or copper, or we could decrease the crude protein content in the diet. The thought process behind decreasing the crude protein content in the diet is that weaning pigs are not able to digest the excessive amounts of protein that are typically found in starter diets. So if that protein is not digested and absorbed in the small intestine, then the nitrogen passage rate into the large intestine will increase. And there, the nitrogen fermentation can create an environment in which pathogenic bacteria can proliferate. And so with that in mind, we designed an experiment with the hypothesis that if we decrease dietary crude protein level, we will decrease diarrhea and improve intestinal health in these pigs while having a minimal negative impact on growth performance. In this experiment, we used 180 weaned pigs that averaged 5.53 kilograms of body weight, and with five pigs per pen, we were able to achieve 12 replicate pens per treatment. We used corn and soybean meal to formulate treatments with three different levels of crude protein. Both the 22 and the 19% crude protein diets provided amino acids to meet the requirement established by the NRC. However, the 16% crude protein diet did not. And this is because amino acid concentration in that originally formulated diet was so low that even with supplementation of crystalline and dispensable amino acids, not all the requirements were able to be met. We actually fed all of these treatments in a two-phase feeding program. The phase one diet was fed from day one to seven post-weaning. And in the 16% crude protein diet it provided amino acids at approximately 71% of the requirement due to the limitation in phenylalanine. The phase 2 diet was fed for the balance of this experiment. And in the 16% crude protein diet it provided amino acids at approximately 81% of the requirement due to the limitation in histidine. Next, I'd like to show an experimental timeline for you to better visualize how this experiment was conducted. So like I just mentioned, that phase 1 diet was fed from day 1 to 7 post-weaning. So the phase 2 diet was fed from day 7 to 28. Pigs were weighed on day 1 and a blood serum sample was collected from one pig per pen to establish a baseline of where these pigs were at pre-weaning. Pigs were then weighed again weekly on day 7, 14, 21, and 28. And then on the day previous to weighing, we collected another blood serum sample from one pig per pen. And then from those same pigs that we collected all these blood samples from, we also collected a fresh fecal sample via the grab sampling method on days 13, 20, and 27. We euthanized one pig per pen on day 12, and fecal scores were recorded by average per pen every other day for the experiment's duration. And so obviously there was a lot of samples collected within this particular experiment, and that equates to an overwhelming amount of data to interpret. So for time's sake, I've only included results I felt pertinent to making the overall conclusions. So now that I've explained how this experiment is set up, I'd like to move into the results part of this presentation. And I'll begin with fecal score by pen where a lower fecal score indicates more normal feces and a higher fecal score indicates more severe diarrhea. Now I would like to take a second to set up my graph because these same colors will be representative of the same diets for the rest of this presentation. The blue bar will represent pigs consuming the 22% crude protein diet. The orange bar will represent pigs consuming the 19% crude protein diet. And the brown bar represent pigs consuming the 16% crude protein diet. So, for fecal score, there was a linear reduction in fecal score for both day 1 to 7 and day 8 to 14, so less diarrhea as we decreased crude protein content in the diet. However, from day 15 to 21 and day 22 to 28, the reduction in fecal score was not significant. But as we consider the entire experimental time period, there was a linear reduction in fecal score as we decreased crude protein content in the diet. So, if you'll remember, the main goal of feeding this low-protein strategy is to reduce post-weaning diarrhea, and we showed here that we were able to achieve that goal. However, the question from literature then becomes, well, does this come at a sacrifice to growth performance? So for average daily gain, there was a tendency for a linear decrease from day 1 to 14 as we decrease crude protein content in the diet. I think it's important to note that These pigs obviously struggled for the first two weeks post weaning as indicated by their low average daily gain. And although there is this tendency for a decrease, the difference is from 0.1 to 0.09 kilograms, so not a massive difference. However, from both day 14 to 28 and from day 1 to 28, there was a linear decrease in average daily gain as we decreased crude protein content in the diet. The 16% diet is providing amino acids below the requirement, so we'd expect a limitation in protein synthesis and thus the decrease in average daily gain that is observed. As for feed consumption, there was no effect of diet for either day 1 to 14 or day 14 to 28. However, from day 1 to 28, there was a tendency for a linear decrease in average daily feed intake as we decrease crude protein content in the diet. And then as the gain to feed ratio is calculated from day 1 to 14 there was a linear decrease in the gain to feed ratio. And for day 14 to 28 and for the entire experimental time period there were quadratic decreases in the gain to feed ratio as we decreased crude protein content in the diet. And interestingly it appears that the 16% crude protein diet is the true driver behind these statistical significances that we are observing. Next I'd like to move into the presentation of some data that was measured in the blood samples that were collected weekly. And I'll begin with blood urea nitrogen, or BUN, which is used as an indicator of amino acid utilization efficiency. There was an effect of crude protein level, of day, and a diet by day interaction on BUN concentration in the serum. Now like we've discussed, these pigs struggled in terms of growth for the initial two weeks post weaning. So, obviously, these pigs were not utilizing amino acids efficiently for protein synthesis, and thus the increase in BUN to day 13. However, pigs started growing better thereafter, and so BUN was reduced. But by day 27, we do observe that pigs consuming the 22% crude protein diet had a greater BUN concentration, indicating that there were excess amino acids present in that diet. Also, regardless of day, Pigs consuming this 16% crude protein diet had the lowest BUN concentration. We also measured albumin, which is a carrier protein in the serum of these pigs. There was an effect of crude protein level of day and a tendency for a diet by day interaction and albumin concentration in the serum. So whether it's because there was a decrease in albumin synthesis because of the decrease in protein synthesis or because there's a lesser need for albumin to transport nutrients because there's a decrease in protein synthesis. Either way, albumin concentrations were the lowest on day 13. However, concentrations increased thereafter, and by day 27, the amount of albumin concentration was reflective of the amount of crude protein content in the diet. And again, regardless of day, pigs consuming that 16% crude protein diet had the lowest albumin concentration. We also measured haptoglobin in the serum of these pigs. Haptoglobin is an acute phase protein synthesized by the liver, and it's increased in response to stress because haptoglobin functions to control or mitigate oxidative stress. There was an effect of day and a diet by day interaction on haptoglobin concentration in the serum. We observed that haptoglobin was the greatest on day 13 and we're not sure if this is because these pigs are still trying to adjust post-weaning, or if this increase is associated with the transition of these pigs from the phase 1 to the phase 2 diet there at day 7. However, haptoglobin concentrations were reduced thereafter, and by day 27, we do observe that pigs consuming the 16% crude protein diet have the greatest haptoglobin concentration. These pigs are consuming a diet that's restricted in amino acids, so the pigs are experiencing a dietary stress and thus the increase in haptoglobin that is observed. We also measured immunoglobulin G or IgG in the serum of these pigs. IgG is used as an indicator of the humoral immune response and it's said that IgG protects the intestinal gut surface from bacterial damage. So it's also associated with immune protection. There is an effective day on IgG concentration where concentrations were reduced significantly from day one to six post weaning. These data indicate that these pigs have activated their immune system as they try to combat the stresses that might be associated with weaning. Now if we take a step back, I think it's also interesting to note that we've shown that when feeding these low protein diets, we are able to reduce fecal score in these pigs. However, it doesn't necessarily seem like we're influencing their immunity. Now a very similar result was observed in vitamin E concentration, where concentrations were reduced significantly from day one to six post weaning. Now because vitamin E is used in the antioxidant system and is used to support the immune system, these data also indicate that vitamin E is being oxidized to try to support the immune system as these pigs try to adjust post weaning. Now the opposite was actually observed in terms of vitamin A concentration where concentrations were increased over the experiment's duration. Perhaps this increase in vitamin A is associated with an increased intake of vitamin A and the pig trying to store more of it in the liver. Next I'd like to change gears and present data from the pigs that were euthanized on day 12. And I'll begin with morphology measurements in the jejunum and the ileum. So in the jejunum, there was a quadratic effect on villus height where pigs consuming the 19% crude protein diet had the greatest villus height, indicating an increased surface area for nutrient absorption. However, there was no effect of diet on crypt depth in the jejunum. So then as the villus height to crypt depth ratio is calculated, there was again a quadratic effect where pigs consuming the 19% crude protein diet had the greatest villus height to crypt depth ratio. As we move into the ileum, There was no effect of diet on villus height in these pigs. However, there was a quadratic effect on crypt depth, where pigs consuming the 19% crude protein diet had the lowest or the shallowest crypt depth, and pigs consuming the 22% crude protein diet had the greatest or the deepest crypts. So deeper crypts, or crypt hypertrophy, or crypt elongation, or however you want to describe the term, can be associated with pathogen colonization and consumption of a feed antigen. So consumption of that 22% crude protein diet that has an increase in soybean meal inclusion results in pigs with deeper crypts that also have an increased prevalence of diarrhea. However, then as the villus height to crypt depth ratio is calculated, there is no effect of diet in the ileum. We also measured pH in the stomach, ileum, and colon of these pigs. So there is a tendency for a linear increase And pH in the stomach as we decrease crude protein content in the diet. Although pigs consuming this 16% crude protein diet have a pH that's well within the normal range, these pigs aren't consuming that extra protein as seen with the other diets, so the pigs are secreting less hydrochloric acid to aid in protein digestion, and thus the increase in pH that is observed. Now the opposite was seen in the ileum where there was a linear decrease in pH as we decreased crude protein content in the diet. Perhaps this is because duct cells in the pancreas of pigs consuming this 22% crude protein diet are overcompensating in terms of bicarbonate secretion and overbuffering the digesta. As we move into the colon, there was a quadratic effect on pH where pigs consuming the 19% crude protein diet had the lowest pH. Now this result is difficult to explain, but here in a few slides, hopefully I'll present some data that sheds light as to why we see this result. We also collected contents from the cecum and the colon for the measurement of products of fermentation, which would be ammonia and volatile fatty acids, or VFAs. So there was no effect of diet on either ammonia or total VFA concentration in contents from the cecum. Now next I'm going to break down these total VFAs into concentrations of individual VFAs grouped by those associated with either carbohydrate fermentation or those associated with protein fermentation. So there was no effective diet on either acetate or butyrate concentration in contents collected from the cecum. However, there was a tendency for a quadratic effect on propionate where pigs consuming the 19% crude protein diet had the lowest propionate concentration. There was also no effective diet on either isobutyrate or valerate concentration in contents from the cecum. However, there was a tendency for a linear increase in isovalerate concentration as we decreased crude protein content in the diet. Now these data are a bit erratic, and so that makes these results difficult to explain. Then as we move into the colon, there was also no effective diet on either ammonia or total VFA concentration. There was also no effective diet on acetate or propionate concentration. However, there was a tendency for a quadratic effect on butyrate where pigs consuming the 19% crude protein diet had the greatest butyrate concentration. And perhaps this increase in butyrate concentration is associated with the decrease in pH that was observed in the colon a few slides ago. There was also no effective diet on isobutyrate, isovalerate, and valerate concentrations and contents collected from the colon. Now this last few pieces of data that I'd like to present are the relative abundances of mRNA measured in the ileal mucosa of these pigs. We measured many genes. However, I'm only going to present the ones that are statistically significant. And we'll begin with pro-inflammatory genes. There was a quadratic effect on the abundance of interleukin-8, a linear decrease in the abundance of interferon gamma, a tendency for a quadratic effect in the abundance of CXCL9, and a linear decrease in the abundance of CXCL10 as we decrease crude protein content in the diet. Because these pro-inflammatory genes are associated with the recruitment of other immune cells that result in inflammation, the decrease in the abundance of these genes that is observed in pigs consuming the 16% crude protein diet indicates a decrease in inflammation present in the ileum. So then as we move into anti-inflammatory genes, there was a quadratic effect in the abundance of interleukin-10 and a tendency for a linear increase in the abundance of transforming growth factor beta as we decrease crude protein content in the diet. And because these anti-inflammatory genes are associated with the dissipation of inflammation, an increase in the abundance of these genes, as observed in pigs consuming the 16% crude protein diet, indicates a decrease in inflammation present in the ileum of those pigs as well. The next group of genes I'd like to present are the ones I've coined the gut protective proteins, and this includes both tight junction proteins and those associated with mucus secretion. There was a linear decrease in the abundance of occludin and a tendency for a quadratic effect in the abundance of zonula occludin's protein 1 as we decrease crude protein content in the diet. Now, we assume that an increase in the expression of these tight junction proteins is associated with less gut leakage. However, as we interpret these data, perhaps because there's less inflammation, as indicated by the abundance of those pro inflammatory genes, there's also a lesser need for the upregulation to increase expression of these tight junction proteins for protection. There was also a linear decrease in the abundance of mucin 2, trefoil factor 2, and trefoil factor 3 as we decrease crude protein content in the diet. Mucin 2 is a major protein found in mucus, which also has a protective function in the gut. And so because there's less inflammation, there's a lesser need for a mucus to be present for protection, and thus the decrease in mucin 2 that is observed. And because these trefoil factor peptides are produced by mucus secreting cells, I think it makes sense that they follow a similar trend in data. Now the last group of genes I'd like to present are the glucose transporters. There was a linear decrease in the abundance of both GLUT2 and GLUT5 as we decreased protein content in the diet. And If you'll remember from the last slide, perhaps because there's a decrease in the expression of those tight junction proteins, there's more glucose being absorbed via the paracellular pathway and a decrease in these glucose transporters is then needed. So obviously there is an overwhelming amount of data present here within this experiment and so I'd like to summarize this data with a few conclusions. So by feeding the low protein diets, we've shown that we're able to decrease diarrhea score and BUN concentration in the serum of these pigs. However, we're also reducing albumin in the process. And by feeding these low protein diets, there's really only a small decrease in growth performance for the initial two weeks post weaning. There's also a decrease in the indicators of inflammation as shown by the abundance of those inflammatory genes when pigs are consuming that 16% crude protein diet and that when we're feeding these low protein diets, we are able to change pH in both the stomach and the ileum. Then if we reduce crude protein level while still providing amino acids at the requirement, we can beneficially impact morphology as well. I'd like to wrap up today's presentation with a few take-home messages. So I've shown that by feeding these low-protein diets, that we are able to reduce diarrhea score, which is the main goal of this nutritional strategy. We're also able to reduce BUN concentration, indicating that we're feeding amino acids closer to the requirement in these pigs. I've also shown that when feeding these low-protein diets, we're able to minimize inflammation in the gut, as shown by the abundance of those inflammatory genes. And we're really able to achieve both of these things with only a small decrease in growth performance for the initial two weeks post-weaning. However, if we are going to feed these low-protein diets for an extended period of time, it then becomes crucial to provide amino acids to meet the requirement so we can maximize protein synthesis and growth performance and we can improve gut morphology in the process. And so with that, I'd like to thank DSM, for their financial support and collaboration on this project. I'd also like to thank all the members of the Stein Monogastric Nutrition Laboratory, both on the farm and in the lab, for their help in completing this research. If you have any other questions about this particular project, or any inquiries about nutrition in general, I highly encourage you to visit our website at nutrition.ansi.illinois.edu. Thank you.